Okay, all right. I'm excited about that. All right. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to go ahead, take it out, open it up. Head over to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we are in a series that is entitled The Hunger for God. And we're talking about what it looks like to seek spiritual renewal and awakening in our city, in our time. Now, as you're headed over there, I want to just uh, make a couple of quick announcements. First of all, if you are our guest, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, my name's Steve. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're really delighted that you've decided to join us. Um, we believe that our purpose for existing is to make Houston look more like heaven by helping Houstonians become more like Jesus. And if you want to see our city look more like heaven, and you want to take your next step to becoming more like Jesus, we want to help you in that. That's what we think God has brought us here for. And so I want to encourage you to let us know that you're here. We're not wanting to spam you or anything like that. But if you'll just fill out this card, it's in the seat pocket in front of you, then that'll give us an opportunity to follow up with you and help you take your next step, whatever that might be. So I would encourage you to do that and hope that you will do that. Um, if you're joining us online, there's going to be a link that's going to be dropped in the chat. You can just click on that, and it'll take you straight to an online version of that card, a digital version of that card. And if you prefer digital, there are some QR codes on the backs of chairs. You can scan that with your phone. It'll take you to a digital version of that card as well. We would love for you to let us know that you're here. Also, ladies, are there any ladies in the room? There you are, ladies. All right, so ladies, next weekend is our women's conference and it is going to be spectacular because, first of all, the Lord's going to be there and y'all are going to be there, but also because Felicia Masonheimer is going to be the uh, lead teacher for the weekend. Uh, Felicia is a theologian and a teacher. She's got a new, uh, she's already got several books. She's got a new book that's about to come out. I was uh, honored to have the opportunity to read that um, in advance and to blurb for it. It's a great book. She's a great teacher. It's going to be a fantastic weekend. You should sign up, hnw.org slash women. So uh, check that out. think you'll love that. Now, as you're headed over to Philippians chapter 4, I'm just going to give a brief introduction to the Bible for anybody in the room who might be new to the Bible. Uh, the Bible is divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, the Old Testament gives us a record of God's chosen people, Israel, and tells us about their need for a rescuer, for a redeemer. They use the word Messiah. Now, they thought that the Messiah would be someone who would overthrow probably the Roman government, and so it would be sort of a military political type ruler that would institute a new literal kingdom of which they would then have a role in. But then we get to the New Testament, and in the New Testament, we find out who the Messiah is, and the Messiah is Jesus. Now, Jesus is not a military leader. He's not looking to overthrow the government. But Jesus is, in fact, teaching and preaching about a kingdom. But this kingdom is not a military kingdom. This kingdom is not a kingdom of this world. In fact, it is a kingdom of God. And he teaches about that. Now, Jesus is not a teacher or a prophet. He is God in flesh. And so we discover about him that he is born of a virgin, that he lives a sinless human life, that he is executed by the powers that be, but his death was not simply because his teaching threatened the powers that be, but also we discovered that his death was a sacrifice for our sin. Three days later, Jesus is raised from the dead by God the Father, and as Jesus is raised from the dead, what we then discover is that he truly is the Messiah. He truly is the King. His followers 2,000 years ago would tell anyone who was listening, we have found the Messiah. There is a kingdom, but the kingdom is not a governmental kingdom. The kingdom is the heavenly kingdom, which we can start living right here, right now, as we follow Jesus as our King. 
So here today, we preach that same good news, that same message, which we call the gospel. And this is the gospel. God has done everything necessary for you to have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. He has done everything necessary for you to have forgiveness of sin, for you to have true identity in him. He's done everything necessary for you to have eternal life through the resurrection, and he has done everything necessary for you to now live who you are intended to be through the Holy Spirit of Jesus, which dwells in you if you place your faith in him. That's good news. Amen? So for those of us who are here who've received that gospel, praise God. For those of us who haven't, Today is a day where you can choose to follow him and receive that. So I'm going to pray over us, and then we're going to jump in, and we're going to be reading from Philippians. And Philippians was written by one of the first followers of Jesus, Paul, who was one of the most prolific church planters in the ancient world, and he wrote a letter to a church in Philippi, and we're going to read a section of it today. So let me pray, we'll read the scripture, and we'll get going. God, would you please just surprise us today? Um, I, I don't know what everybody's been up to this week. Um, and, and not out of any disrespect, Lord, but I bet that by the time they've come in here today, they've been thinking about all kinds of other stuff, stuff at work or stuff with kids or stuff at home or family or illness. And Lord, I would just pray that right now you would help us to um, focus in, you know, shut off our notifications, to lock in and to hear from you. And so, Lord, let us, let us hear today from you through your word. And God, would you move in this day so that we might experience and encounter you? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Guys, it's been a crazy news week. Have you noticed this? I mean, first of all, just this tragic, tragic earthquake in Turkey and Syria. I don't know what the latest death toll numbers are, but it has been horrific, to say the least. And you would think that in a, in a week like that, that would be the only thing that would like, you know, really capture our attention. But then, you know, there was a balloon. You probably heard about that. And... Um, we shot it down because um, jets are better than balloons. So we did that. And then, but then like yesterday, I don't know if y'all saw it, it was like there's like two unidentified flying objects that were chasing down, shooting down. And like, you just kind of read the news. You're like, all right, Jesus, I, I don't know what you're doing, but okay, right? But that's, none of those things are the things that have really captured my imagination the most this week out of the news. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but on Wednesday morning at 10 a.m., Students at Asbury College, a little Methodist Wesleyan college in Kentucky, went into their chapel service, which they go into every week. They went in there Wednesday at 10 a.m., and I haven't checked today, but as of last night, the service had not ended. Revival broke out on the campus of Asbury College, and there was like an 80-something hour service that had been going. Now, I don't know if it's still happening, but I do know that it jumped over to Ohio and broke out on another college campus as well. And it was really cool just to be texting with a couple of people who had been there and seen it because people were driving in from other towns to experience it. And this morning, a guy was texting me and he just said, uh, it is, it's the real thing. Now, I don't know about you, and I, I want to be clear, I, I, I love being a pastor. I, I 
I love my church, but one of the things that I have been praying for is that we could see something like that in our city in our day. I mean, wouldn't that be incredible to just see people falling before God and just crying out saying, God, would you, would you do something unique in our time? And, and I, that's really what this series is about. I'm hoping that we will, in this series, seek after God so that we could truly understand that when we have a hunger for God, we can begin to see those things. Because I don't know what everybody's theology is in this place, but I'll tell you what my theology is. God still moves. And I think that we ought to seek the movement of God in this place. So these verses today speak directly to that, in my opinion. Um, last week, we, we talked about the gospel and how the gospel is the fountainhead from which these things spring. And I want us to respond to that then. And I think that one of the first ways we respond to it is found here in verses six and seven of chapter four in Philippians. The way we respond to the gospel and get a hunger for God is found right here. So let's jump in and let's see what the Lord would teach us today. I think the first thing that we're looking for when we jump in is we're looking for wholeness. We're looking for wholeness here in these verses. Now you notice that the very first phrase in verse six is don't worry, right? Anybody just like read that and go, easy for you to say. You know, don't worry. I've been reading a lot lately and listening a lot lately about this thing called uh, polyvagal theory. Now, polyvagal theory is uh, kind of a, a theory that's part of neuroscience. And neuroscience tells us that there is a nerve that essentially runs through the center of the human body. And this nerve is called the vagus nerve. This has nothing to do with Las Vegas, Okay totally different. But the vagus nerve is sometimes known as the soul nerve because the vagus nerve is the nerve that tells our body things that we sometimes cannot rationally explain. Like, I don't feel safe right now. We don't really know why, but our vagus nerve has been receiving inputs that is telling us you're not safe in this moment. The vagus nerve is also the nerve that can um, tell us and sometimes take us back through places and seasons where we've had really traumatic experiences, right? Something bad happened to us in the past, and then something happens that reminds us of that, and the vagus nerve is activated. And so we, we feel unsafe or worried or anxious. And so whenever the Bible says, don't be worried or don't be anxious, it's actually kind of directly addressing that, that vagus nerve, that part of us in our bodies that gets stimulated and we just can't quite settle down. Now, the literal word there in the Greek is merimnos, and that word that says, don't worry, don't be anxious, however you want to translate it, the literal word there is, don't be divided. Don't be divided. Because here's the thing about your vagus nerve, polyvagal theory, you're created to not live in this state of a hyperactive vagus nerve. You're supposed to live in a relaxed state, in a, in a state where you feel safe, calm, you know, just very self assured of who you are in that presence. And when you feel that, then you're in the right state. But whenever you don't, that's when your vagus nerve is acting up. And that's when you would have what Paul calls a divided mind, right? Any of us here, like whenever we read that, it says, don't worry. We're like, well, I mean, I don't want to worry. I just can't stop it, right? It's, it's like, I don't want to be fixated on this one thing, but I can't stop being fixated on it. 
the picture there is like we have this one foot over here where like I'm trying to trust you, God, but then I have this other foot over here where I can't stop thinking about the thing that I don't want to think about, right? And this is where a lot of us feel torn or we feel like we're sort of pulled into different directions because we know that we shouldn't be like that, and yet we are for whatever reason. Now, God wants us to trust him, to rest in him, to be in the place, the state that he's created us to be, and that is found at the end of the next verse. So, you know, verse six is don't have a divided mind. Don't be divided. And then verse seven, he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the word peace there, literally rendered, is intended to be the opposite of the divided mind. So don't have a divided mind. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Don't have a divided mind. The literal word there that's peace literally means wholeness, wholeness. The wholeness of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God doesn't want you living in this divided state where you feel torn between, I know I shouldn't worry, I'm trying to trust God, but I'm anxious, I can't let go. He wants you to be in a state of wholeness, of being who it is that you are, where your mind is not racing, where you're at peace. Um, If you've ever read the most famous Psalm, probably Psalm 23, you're familiar with that phrase. I I don't know about you, I I learned all this stuff in the King James Version, so this is the way that it just kind of runs through my brain, but the phrase there in Psalm 23 is, he restoreth my soul. You know what that means literally, he restoreth my soul? It means he brings me back. Like, God doesn't want you divided. He wants you to experience peace, which is wholeness. He wants to bring you back to a place of wholeness where you don't feel divided anymore and you feel at rest and you feel certain of who it is that you are. God then brings you back to where it is that you're intended to be, and that's what wholeness is. It's when you stop trying to be something or someone that you're actually not, and instead you rest in the identity you have in Christ So the thing I want us to see today is that the Lord doesn't want us to be anxious or worried. He wants us to have a unified mind, a mind that is wholeness in all things, brought back into the true self he has created us to be. Now, in verse 7, it says that this wholeness of God, this peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I know I've been given a lot of Literal translations, but one more because I think it's helpful. If you have the wholeness of God and you're not divided, then it it says hearts and minds in our translations, but the literal translation there is that it will guard your desires and your decisions. Guard your desires and your decisions. If you are operating out of wholeness, you will desire the things you ought to desire and you will decide, you will make decisions in a way that honors God. Anybody here ever have a bad decision that you made because you were acting out of a divided mind? Am I the only one, right? 10 p.m., yes, Bluebell seems like a good idea right now, right? You know, like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm stressed out, I'm freaking out about something. You know, if I could just have homemade vanilla, then everything would be better, right? We start to have these kinds of moments, these sort of decisions. And the truth of the matter is, is that God wants us to operate from who we truly are, who our real identity is. And if we operate out of that, then we'll want the right things and we'll do the right things. Why? Not because we're doing it, but because 
The peace of God, the wholeness of God will guard our hearts. Like, have you ever had like that friend? You know that friend, like you write the text message or the social media post or you're talking to them and you're like, man, I'm gonna go say this to them and they're like, yeah, don't do that. Like, you need that friend? You know the one I'm talking about? Right, the Lord says, I will be that friend to you. I will say, that's really dumb, don't say that. That's really bad, don't want that. That's a thing you should not do. The wholeness of God will guard your heart. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was with one of my mentors, and um, he said, I asked me a question which really kind of messed with me. Um, I was just kind of sharing, you know, at this point in my pastoral career, um, you know, had opportunities to do some different things in ministry, you know, what is it that I, I want to do as a pastor and how do I want to focus my attention? And this is what he asked me. He said, Steve, what are you unique at? What is it that you do that makes you you? I was like, well, I don't know the answer to that. So I had like, you know, six or eight people that I texted. And I said, okay, um, I got asked this question, who am I? Like, what do, what do you see out of that? Like, who do you think I really am? And all of them replied and they were all like, you're a shepherd. And I was like, that's a really lame answer. I didn't want that answer, right? You know, I was like looking for you, a visionary leader or, yeah, I don't know, firebrand preacher even. Nope, nobody even mentioned my preaching, right? You know, they were like, you're a shepherd. And I was kind of bummed by that, you know, for a little bit. But then I started thinking about this. And here's the thing that's true is that I've noticed over the years that when I, whenever I have tried to operate out of an identity that is not shepherd, things have gone poorly. And when I do operate out of that identity that God has put in me, which is shepherd, then it seems to go well, right? Like, you know, I have this like desire, I wanna be able to lead and do great things, but what's always been funny is, is that as I have shepherded well and cared for the people that puts under my watch care, then I've had the opportunity to lead our church, right? But if I get that out of order and I start trying to do things without caring for people first, you know what happens? I get in front of the Holy Spirit. Anybody ever been in front of the Holy Spirit? Not a good place to be, right? Not a good place to be. And so what I've recognized is, is that wholeness, the peace of God, the wholeness of God is when I settle into being who it is that God wants me to be. I don't have a divided mind. I'm not worried about those things. I'm not trying to go for other opportunities or other jobs or jump around because I'm just living out of who it is that God has made me to be. And when I do that, then he brings me back. He restores my soul. He settles me. And instead of getting antsy, God stands like a sentry outside my, my heart, and he helps me want the right things and do the right things. And the truth of the matter is, is that whenever we're operating out of our identity, God will then put us where we need to be. Like, there's some weird things that I've done over the years as a pastor, and some of y'all know that. I don't have time to go into that, but like, you would be like, man, how did you end up in that room? And I'm going, I, I don't know. But the answer is, whenever we live from whom, who God has made us to be and stop trying to be somebody else, stop trying to have a divided mind, just live from who God has made us to be, then he will say, I can put you where I need you because I need someone who is, in my case, a shepherd in that room. And when you do that, then I'll open other doors and, and do the work that I need to do in that place. If we wanna see God move, and we want to see revival in our day, 
We can't live divided minds trying to run around. We've got to be settled in who we are in Christ and let him put us where he wants to put us and then we'll be his vessels. Jamie Winship says, when we operate out of our true identity, we will never reach the bottom of what God can do through us. Now, when you think about this, this is the gospel, right? Like, this is the gospel. Because the gospel is God bringing us back to wholeness in him, in Christ. We stop trying to be someone that we're not. We stop trying to run against God, stop trying to kick against the goads, and instead we're brought into who it is that God wants us to be, whom God has made us to be. Now, I mention all of this, this wholeness, because I think we hear it and we're like, yes, that's what I want. I don't want to have a divided mind. I don't want to be anxious. I don't want to be worried. I don't want to be trying to be somebody. I'm not. I want to be settled. I want to be the person that I'm supposed to be, who God wants me to be. How do I get it? I'm glad you asked. The answer is in verse 6. Don't have a divided mind about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. You see, the way that we find wholeness in God is by prayer, by prayer. So I want us to talk about prayer today because spiritual awakening happens when we are who God has made us to be and the scripture tells us we cannot be that person until we have received Christ, but then we seek Christ in prayer. Now the first phrase there is the phrase petition with thanksgiving. So I want us to just talk about what it means to pray, and I would just say that if you could remember any word when it comes to prayer, remember this word, real. Be real. So first, bring your petitions with thanksgiving. Like Paul says it just a few phrases later, he says, present your requests to God. I want you to hear me on this. You can talk to God about anything. Like he says it right here, bring your requests. So whatever it is that you have in your heart and in your mind, some of us have thought, well, I couldn't talk to God about that. No, you can talk to him about anything. You bring those requests to God, whatever they are. Bring your real requests, but did you notice this? He says, bring your request, but when you do so, be sure to bring thanksgiving. Uh, One of my favorite pastoral scholars is a guy by the name of Andy Root. And Andy Root's written a lot of great books about pastoral ministry. And one of the things that he talks about is active waiting is what the church ought to be doing. The church ought to be actively waiting. So many of us do passive waiting all the time, right? We go, we're getting our oil changed or we're going to the doctor or whatever, and we just got to kill time. And so what do we do? We pull out our phone and we're scrolling it or, you know, check an email or whatever, just trying to do something to kind of redeem the time. That's passive waiting. Active waiting is when we have something we are intentionally doing while we are waiting. So what's the church waiting on? The church is waiting on God to move. So what's our active way of waiting on God to begin to move in this place? It is we give thanks. So as we're praying and we're saying, God, And we're bringing these very real requests. God, would you please heal this disease? God, would you please uh, move and and show us your power in this way? God, would you please help in my marriage? God, would you please help with these kids? Lord, I need help at work. You know, I need wisdom. Whatever request we bring, while we're doing that, we're also supposed to give thanks at the same time. And that's how we actively wait on God. Now, you think, why do I have to actively wait? Why do I have to give thanks to God while I'm praying? Great question. This is why. We have to thank God while we're asking because if we don't, 
You know this as well as I do. Sometimes you will ask God for something and he will tell you no. And if we are asking God for something specifically and we ask for a long time, weeks, months, years, and he does not give it to us and we are not actively giving thanksgiving during that time, you know what will happen? We will begin to believe a lie. And you know what the lie is that we'll believe? The lie is from the enemy and this is the lie. God doesn't care about me. We'll begin to believe God's never done anything good for me. God's never helped me in whatever way. Now, that's not true, and the way that we combat that, the way that we know that it's not true, is we list the things that we are thankful for as we actively wait on God to move in this particular area. And so we say, God, thank you for my family. Thank you for this job. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my church. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for you know, whatever it is that's in your life that you're thankful for because as you thank him for those things, and you cannot get to the bottom of that list, as you thank him, then it will combat your tendency to believe God doesn't do anything for me. No, God does a lot for us. He's done everything for us. The other reason we need to come with thanksgiving the other reason we need to come with thanksgiving is it reminds us that God's character is good. Psalm 119, 68. If you don't have it memorized, memorize it today. Psalm 119, 68. Are you ready? Here it is. You are good and you do good. You are good and you do good. You will not trust someone if you question his or her character, right? Well, you wouldn't trust them. And some of us struggle to trust God because things have gone sideways with us and God in the past, and as a result, we aren't sure that God has good character. We have to come with thanksgiving because thanksgiving reminds us our God has good character. Amen? All right. So one night, Psalm 119, 68, you are good and you do good. No. So real requests, real thanksgiving. Next, real talk. Like, does anybody ever feel the pressure to perform when you're praying? Right? Am I the only one that feels that? You know, like you feel like, man, I got to be somebody that I'm not. Like, and maybe you went to church. I mean, I know when I was a kid, like there was this guy that every time it was time to pray and it wasn't the pastor, they called on him. Because when he spoke, he prayed, it was like poetry welled up from within him. And I would think, I can't do that. So I can't pray. Listen to me, that is not what God wants. I mean, he's okay with that if, if that naturally comes from you. But God doesn't want you to put on a performance and be someone else whenever you come and pray. Like, can you imagine that? I mean, the, the phrase that we have that God describes himself to us in the Bible is Abba. You know what Abba means? Daddy. Daddy, like, they say, he says, call me Daddy. Can you imagine God saying, call me daddy, and we come to him with like, oh, Lord, we beseech thee today, right? <laughs> this sort of like, you know, phrase that we bring, he's like, why are you talking to me like that? Can you imagine, like he hears you talking the rest of the day. I know that, that scared some of you just now, but like he hears you talking the rest of the day right? Can you imagine, like, I'm at home, my kids are little, they're running around, they're playing, they're screaming, they're having fun with their friends, and then one of them comes into the kitchen and says, oh, Father, <laughs> may I beseech thee for some orange juice, right? 
I'd be like, what's wrong with this? I mean, sounds like vocabulary is going well at school. You know, beseech, that's nice, okay. But what's happening right now? We would think that's bananas, that's weird. Many of us, for whatever reason, it's like we're talking to everyone normal and then we get to God and then we're like, uh, I gotta put on my formal voice right now. Just talk to him. He wants you to call him daddy. And because he wants you to call him daddy, you can't wear him out. Now, for those of you who have preschoolers, you're like, mm, I don't know, come to my house. We might test that theory. But what I'm trying to tell you is that God does not grow tired of your prayers. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, pray continuously. He wants you to just keep coming and keep coming and keep coming and being real, real talk, right? Another thing in prayer, real attitudes, real attitudes. Let me give you a... Um, a simple definition for confession, right? I, I'm saying real attitudes because like you need to come and just tell him really what's happening and that involves confession and repentance. So let me give you just a simple definition for confession. Are you ready? This is confession. Telling God the truth. Like some of us, it's like we're, we're going into a job interview when we pray. I don't know if God can handle that, so I kind of leave out that part of my week and just, you know, head over to this other thing. Guys, he already knows. <laughs> and some of us are like, well, if he already knows, why do I have to tell him? Because whenever we tell him and we acknowledge that, then we open ourselves up for repentance. You cannot repent until you have confessed. Confession, tell him the truth about yourself. Do you know what repentance is? So repentance, some, you know, we'll say things like turning towards Jesus or 180 degree turn. Those are great definitions, but this is a great definition. Confession, telling God the truth about yourself. Repentance, letting God tell you the truth about yourself. This is who you're supposed to be. This is who I've made you to be. That takes us back to wholeness, the peace of God. Go, we go back to who it is that God wants me to be. So real attitudes, have those real attitudes in that. But maybe the most important part of prayer is real listening, real listening. Like some of us, we need to like stop talking. Any of you have like a relative, you know, like your removed Aunt Mabel or whatever, and you know, you, she gets on the phone with you and you're like, hey, Aunt Mabel, and then she starts talking, like 30 minutes, and she never stops. And it's like, okay, talk to you later. Like, oh, thank, thanks, Aunt Mabel. You, know, you hang up. And some of us, that's how you pray. You're like, dear God, amen. And God's like, I mean, I had a couple of things I was hoping to get in there. Right? But we can't hear him because we won't stop talking. We won't listen. And to listen, you've got to be quiet and you've got to be still. Now, I think that God wants us to hear his voice. And the primary way that God speaks to us is through his word. Uh, here at Houston Northwest, the way that we define disciples, we say disciples do two things. This is what disciples do. They hear and they obey. That's what disciples do. Well, you cannot obey God unless you hear God. And you're like, well, man, I want to hear from God. Okay, I'm going to tell you how to hear God. Are you ready? This is the easiest way to know that you've heard from God. Open your Bible and start reading it. And as you're reading it, you'll read a verse and you'll be like, whoa, God just spoke to me through that verse. Like, you'll, you'll, it'll hit you. I don't know how else to put it. You're like, man, I've never noticed that before. That, that kind of just jumped out and it got me. That is God saying to you, 
I want you to take that verse and apply the principle from that verse to your life. Now listen to me. Sometimes you might read for a week and only have one verse like that that jumps out at you. Other times you might get 10 of those in one day. That's just the way that the Holy Spirit operates and I can't control the speed at which we grow spiritually, but that's what God does through his word. So as God speaks to you through his word, then you'll go, oh, okay, God's, God's speaking to me. Now you say, why do I need to do that? Well, so number one, when you do that, it teaches you God's voice. Because, and this is where things can get a little weird. Are y'all ready? God speaks to us through his word, but sometimes he'll just speak to us out in the wild. Now listen, I'm not trying to get freaky in here, but I want you to hear me on this. You will have times when you'll be at work or you'll be out in the community and the Holy Spirit will impress upon you and will prompt you, go talk to that person. I want you to give money to that person. I want you to help that person. And you're thinking, is that the Lord or is that the pepperoni pizza I just ate, right? Like, which one is it? The only way that you will know is if you are in the word regularly and the, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you because then you're familiar with his voice. If you're not in the word regularly and hearing him speak to you, then whenever he speaks to you in the wild, you will wonder, is that God or am I making that up? Does that make sense? All right, okay, I, I've told this story before. Some of you are new though, so I'm gonna tell it again. Do you guys remember the days before caller ID? And those were wild days, right? Do you remember that? That was crazy. Like, for those of you who are too young to know, let me just tell you, used to, you'd be at home and the phone would ring, you had no idea who it was. You're like, what in the world is about to happen? It could be anybody. I mean, it could be the president of the United States right there on the other end of the line. Most of the time it was your grandma, but it could be, right? And you're there and you go, you answer the phone, you say hello, and you had no idea what was about to happen. I mean, it was crazy. So when Joy and I started dating, we started dating before caller ID. And um, so Joy, well, she was like, I don't call boys. You want to talk to me, you call me. I was like, okay. So I want to talk to her, so I call her, and she would answer the phone, and what would I say? I'd say, hey, Joy, this is Steve. I would identify myself, right? And over time, um, you know, we got to a point where it was clear we're together, so she would call me sometimes. No caller ID. So she would call me. She'd say, hey, this is Joy. Now, over time, that has changed, right? Right now, any of you could hand me your phone, and she could call me from a completely unrecognizable blocked number, and I could answer the phone, and she could say, hey, and all she'd have to say is, hey, and I would know it was her. Why? Because I know her voice. I know her voice. I've heard her voice for decades, every single day. I know her voice. She knows my voice. Some of us are in the room saying, I don't know if God speaks to me. Yes, he does. You're just not being quiet and you're not listening to him through the word. And when he's prompting you, you're having questions because you haven't trained yourself to hear his voice through the scripture. God wants us to have wholeness, but we have that wholeness as we pursue him in prayer. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He gives us words to say. He prevents us from doing the things we shouldn't do. He's leading us into places we probably would not choose naturally. And as we learn to hear from God, as the wholeness of God 
stands like a sentry guarding our heart. As this happens, we will be able to hear his voice more and more clearly because we will want the things that God wants. We will do the things that God would have us do. And we will find that as we live from who God has made us to be, we will be exactly where we're supposed to be, doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing, wanting exactly what God wants. That's wholeness that comes through prayer. Somebody say amen. Okay, good. I mean, we started so excited. And I, you know, I, I'm just hoping you're just in stunned amazement. That's what I'm hoping right now. Okay, so here we go. This is interactive. You can talk. Here we go. All right, next, last. Verse seven, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard, this is the last word I want us to focus on, your, will guard your hearts. Because the last thing that we need to see awakening is we need to do this together. Do you know what the Texas translation of your is in verse seven? This is the Yeehaw translation, are you ready? I'm gonna give you, you ready for the Yeehaw translation? Here it is. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard all y'all's hearts. That is what Paul literally says right there. It is not singular. It, the peace of God will guard all of y'all's hearts. And who is he writing to? He's writing to a church. He says, if you will do this, if you will avoid the divided mind and seek the wholeness of God, the peace of God through prayer, with thanksgiving, by supplication, present your request to God, then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard all y'all's hearts. He will guard everyone. Guys, do you want to see a move of God come in your church? Three of you do. That's good. Do you want to see a move of God in your church? If you do, then we have to pray together. It can't just be individual prayer. If you're saying, I haven't seen God move, have you been part of corporate prayer in your church? You see, a lot of us, this is where we miss out. It's like we have a great individual prayer life, and that's a good thing, but the more we pray together, the more we experience God together. Pastor John Tyson put it beautifully, I love this, God comes where he's wanted. Right? We want, we're like, man, well, God, we want to see you move. Then let's want him to move. And how do we show that? Through prayer. When we ask, we thank, we confess, we repent, we submit, when we do these things together, then what happens? The church of God is in alignment, moving from divided hearts and divided minds to wholeness. And then the peace of God doesn't just guard my heart or your heart individually. He guards the heart of the church. Wow. Can you imagine, can you imagine if all of the desires of Houston Northwest were guarded by the Spirit in such a way that we would not want the wrong things? If all of the decisions of the church of Houston Northwest were right because it was guarded by the wholeness and the peace of God so that we followed the Holy Spirit always. The only source of power for the church of Jesus Christ is God himself. And the way that we plug into that power source is through prayer. You cannot experience the power of God apart from praying to God. I want us to look at Acts chapter 4, verses 29 through 31. This is a beautiful moment in the early church where they have experienced their first round of pushback. They're preaching the message that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And as they're preaching it, they begin to get a little bit of a, a pushback. Some folks are arrested. They gather back together after they're released. And they, what should we do? 
and they pray. And this is, we're going to pick up midway through the prayer in verse 29. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Guys, the church is together, they pray, they say amen, and the place shook. It's like the Holy Spirit said, I got you. I'm with you. I feel what it is that you're, you're saying. And that happened in really the first instance of corporate prayer immediately after the Holy Spirit fell in Acts chapter 2. And they prayed for specific things, boldness to speak the name of Jesus. They prayed specifically that they would see healings. They prayed for signs and wonders. So what's signs and wonders? This is signs and wonders. Things happening that we can't explain that we know God is doing instead. This is people getting converted that we would never have guessed would be converted or radical generosity happening or incredible supernatural community taking place. These sorts of things happening because God is moving in such a way because the church of Jesus Christ is praying in concert together. When the church prays together, God then does things that the church cannot do on her own. I'm going to say that again. When the church prays, when the church prays, things start to happen that we couldn't do on our own, but God does them through us. We become more than the sum of our parts because we stop saying, let's all work together and do this. That's cool. That's good. That's teamwork makes the dream work. That's a great thing. But what would happen if then the Holy Spirit fell on us and moved through us? Then things happen. They go, whoa, that's different. That's different. This is what happens when the people of God pray. When I love the Hudson Taylor quote, when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. Revival historian J. Edwin Orr is clear. There has never been, ever, in the history of humanity, there has never been a spiritual awakening that first was not preceded by massive corporate prayer. Right now, did you know that dozens of churches across Houston are having this same series right now? We're all doing our own sermons. But there are dozens of churches across the city preaching on a hunger for God that are going to be praying and fasting and asking for God to do this. We're doing that together because we believe that God wants to move. Guys, we're in the most diverse city in the United States. I think, this is just me, I think God brought the nations to our city so that when the Holy Spirit falls, the Spirit can then be taken to all those nations. I mean, that's beautiful, right? That's beautiful. But that happens when we pray. A lot of us in this room, like we think, you know, probably the time of like right around the American Revolution was a golden era. Did you know that right after the American Revolution, the United States was considered to be in one of the most morally bankrupt states it had ever been in. Women were encouraged not to go out alone at night. Sound familiar? Alcoholism was rampant. Between the student populations of Harvard, Princeton, and Yale, together 
they could not find a dozen students who called themselves Christian. I mean, the country was in bad shape. You're like, well, what changed? Well, you, you've read about it in your history books, the Great Awakening. But what caused the Great Awakening? Typically, whenever we study the Great Awakening, it's like, oh, well, the Great Awakening happened, and there was this guy named Jonathan Edwards, and he preached one sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. That is not the Great Awakening. The Great Awakening, this is how it happened. There were corporate-focused prayer meetings that happened for months that preceded the Great Awakening. And do you know where those started? Wall Street. Bankers taking their lunch hour to pray for awakening in their nation. Like a lot of us are like, man, we want to see America changed. But what we do is we yell at our TV and cable news. And we're like, well, we got to vote a certain way. I hate to break it to you. Nothing's going to change until the spirit of God falls and repentance comes across our land, right? That's how change happens. And you're like, well, man, Steve, I want to see that. Good. Let's pray. Like revival does not happen on its own. Revival happens because God shows up where God is wanted. Let's cry out and ask God to pray. One of the most famous revivals in human history took place on a tiny island called the Hebrides off the coast of Scotland where people prayed, asking God to move, and when he did, he moved big to the point that people today moved in the 40s and the 50s today that people in their 90s cannot say the name of Jesus without tearing up because they have become aware of what God did in, to, and through them some 70 years ago. Can you imagine what might happen if here today we decided that on February 22nd, when we have our night of prayer and worship, we're going to actually all show up, and we are going to pray and cry out to God, and we just begin saying, God, would you use our church to see something spectacular, something supernatural, something beyond us happen in our city in our time? What would happen if we joined together and we prayed, and we put our requests before God, but while we were praying, we were also thanking, being reminded of the goodness of God. What would happen if we moved from a divided mind to a whole mind? What if we stopped being anxious and worried about things that we couldn't control, but instead rested in who God made us and walked in that identity saying, God, put me where you want me. Let me do what it is you want me to do. Let me think the things and want the things you want me to think and want, and God, let me do that so that together we can see what might happen. You see, together, we don't have to, quote, unquote, do great things for God. We get to see God do great things and just happen to move through his church. If we will be our true selves, if we will live out of our identity, wholeness, peace, not divided, submitted to him in prayer, he will make us his ambassadors, and God will turn his church into what it is that he wants, a conduit of supernatural power. God wants his church turning to him in prayer so that he might give us wholeness so that then he might guard the hearts and the minds, the desires and the decisions of this church so that then we might see and experience things that we have only imagined. Let it be, Lord Jesus. So here's the thing right now. If you're a believer, praise God. Seek the Lord in prayer so that he could bring wholeness. And join us on February 22nd when we have this, this night of prayer and worship. 
But if you're not a believer and you're listening to this and you're saying, I, I want that, this is what I want you to hear. The Spirit of Jesus guides you in life. And he guides you, he gives you release from sin, and he changes you. He, he takes you from being prideful and he can make you humble. And he can take you from being tempted and he can make you free. And the Spirit of Jesus does these things because the Spirit of Jesus leads you to be the person God made you to be. He moves you into wholeness. He lets you live out of your true identity, who God really wants you to be. But he does that, he does that only after you place your faith in him. The Spirit of Jesus will not fill you until you say, I want you. You have to say, I, I want you, King Jesus. Okay? You have to submit your life to him. And this is what the, the scripture says. You have to believe. Believe that he is God's son. Believe that he died for your sin. Believe that he was resurrected. And if you do that, then he will come and fill your life and he will give you the power to live. And if you're here today and you haven't said yes to him, then I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. So would you, just, everyone, let's just pray together. Would you just bow your heads with me for just a second? I just want to pray. If you're here right now and you would just say, I want, I want to say yes to Jesus for the first time. Like you've never done that. This is the moment where you say, I'm ready to say yes to him. I'm ready to place my faith in him. Would you just let me know you're ready to do that by just raising your hand? Would you just raise your hand so that I can pray for you right now and just say, I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. Okay, I see you. Who else? Just raise your hand up. Okay, who else? Okay, I see you, sir. Who else? Gotcha. All right, who else? Okay, so from where I'm standing, I've seen three men and one child raise their hand. And this is, I just want you where you're at right now. The words aren't magic. Just kind of pray with me where you're at, okay? Father, I believe. I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe that he died for me to take away my sin. I believe that he came back from the dead to give me eternal life. And I want to be filled with his spirit so that I can live the life that you've designed for me to live. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So glad that you joined us online today at Houston Northwest Church, where our vision is to make Houston more like heaven by helping Houstonians become more like Jesus. If you have questions about following Jesus or would like to talk to someone about next steps in your spiritual journey, text Jesus to 281-946-6500. Connect with us throughout the week by following us on social and enjoy a great day.